joystick control. Like it's a physical bloody thing, which is amazing. And then you can situate the switch, you know, into this cardboard box in some capacity and you can control the control the game with these things. Like it's right. incredible. Nintendo is an iconic and beloved brand. It's also the company that ushered in the current era of home gaming and continues to do exciting things both within and beyond the world of video games. As famous game developer Peter Molyneux once said, never underestimate Nintendo. Today on Hyperlink Radio, we'll dive into the details behind the enduring cultural force that is Nintendo. Hyperlink is Hyperlink. 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 Connection. Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of Hyperlink Radio, Episode 5. I'm today's host, Ray Sylvester. Hyperlink Radio is a biannual series of podcast episodes that explores how we connect with each other, with our technology, and with the world around us. We are proudly produced by Winning Edits. You can find us online at winningedits.com. You can also get the latest episodes of Hyperlink Radio by subscribing via iTunes, Stitcher, or RSS. Visit hyperlinkradio.io to learn more. Again, that's hyperlinkradio.io. Let's jump right into today's episode, where Winning Edit CEO Matt Gartland and I talk all things Nintendo. Hey, Matt, how's it going today? I'm really great, Ray. How are you? I'm pretty good, pretty good. I'm uh, psyched to talk about uh, Nintendo with you today here. This is obviously a topic that uh, is, or brand, that's of interest to both of us. And uh, for those of you out there who may be unaware, uh, Matt and I worked together on uh, an article for um, uh, Hyperlink Magazine, uh, which you can find published online uh, at medium.com slash hyperlink-mag, uh, called Nintendo Changing the Game, where we basically uh, kind of, as a joint effort, looked at Nintendo, this uh, iconic brand, and just to understand um, you know, where they've come from, where they're going, and, and just to see the, the mark that they've made on, on our culture and, and on gaming in general. So uh, as kind of, kind of coming out of the, the experience writing that article, Matt and I wanted to just uh, just talk a little bit about why Nintendo is such uh, an iconic and beloved brand, and you know what they're doing, and, and some of the exciting things that they're coming out with, and and why they're still so relevant uh, today. And and picking up on that point, Ray, yeah. like it's it's so magnificent to to be a part of Nintendo today, you know, as an adult, because it was such a a formative uh, experience, at least for me, and, and, I, and I know it was for you, you know, as a child, that they are in fact still relevant because they have done so many things differently, sort of against the grain for decades now, right? And totally. that they're still relevant and uh, being an innovator uh, and a pioneer in an industry that's only continually getting more important and more influential with younger generations uh, of, of kids coming up and how we you know, interact in our society. Like it just, it's so cool that they're still around and still making really big impacts in, you know, in the world. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, and you mentioned kind of growing up on Nintendo and, and you mentioned how we both had similar experiences there. Do you mind just sharing a little bit about like what, what your Nintendo experience was growing up, why this company and, and what their products were so formative for you? 
Yeah, their their gaming was always immensely story driven, which I think remains true today. The characters, the narratives, the the universes, right, that they were creating, uh, more than even like the hardware side of the gaming uh, platform. And certainly it all starting, uh, at least for me, as it did, I think, for a lot of us, you know, with the NES system back in the 80s, the the characters, Super Mario Brothers, uh, even like into like the, the the dog from Duck Hunt, like all of those sort of um, personas, right, were just somehow like like magnetic. Uh, so being able to to be attracted to that. And then the interfaces, I guess that is then where the hardware comes in. You know, it was simple. It was approachable you know, for a kid. Uh, it was easy. Uh, they really kind of just deconstructed something that is decently complex, right? And you're building an alternate reality and you're interfacing with that. And they just made it so approachable. So, you know, that just allowed, you know, certainly me to fall in love with the characters and be able to very quickly kind of get into those universes and allowed my you know imagination to run wild and, and, and intersect within the creativity of those games and, you know, spent you know, countless hours, hundreds of hours, I'm sure, you know, with Super Mario Brothers, uh, eventually Ninja Turtles, who was uh, one of my favorite games as well on the NES. And, you know, uh, it started, it was probably, it was probably five or six when, you know, Santa delivered the NES system and I, and I knew I wanted it, you know, that was the big thing I was asking Santa for. And, you know, my parents ultimately did a really good job of sort of hiding that particular box under the tree somewhere. So I didn't really see it for for a while <laughs> and i can still still very very vividly remember sort of the uh the experience and the emotion really of finally seeing the box and tearing it open and there it was and i'm crying i'm so happy and yeah so that was that's how it got started for me yeah yeah that that does sound like the kind of memory that that wouldn't fade uh very much with with age um and, and I, I agree with you totally i think nintendo um has done an amazing job through the years of creating experiences that are accessible, approachable, as you said. Um, you know, it's it's easy to look at sort of gaming now and, and over the past uh, 20, 25 years as like this this thing that's just like present in, the, in our culture. You know, it's like everybody knows about gaming and, and so many households and have, you know, kids grow up playing games, whether it's Nintendo or, or PlayStation or Xbox, whatever it is. Um, but it's easy to forget that like pre-Nintendo and pre Nintendo Entertainment System NES like gaming was very much not that kind of household sort of cultural force um, that that it has become and, and continues to be um, and Nintendo really gets the credit for for making that happen um, with with the Nintendo Entertainment System that really changed the paradigm um, of of this or just created this new paradigm of of household gaming and and really yeah by, by just being accessible and creating these very approachable gaming experiences that of course kids were drawn to, um, but that also uh, the adults could, you know, could get into and, and see, you know, appreciate and experience some depth with as well. And, and I think, you know, we're seeing how these iconic games and um, characters like Mario and Zelda um, are still so relevant and still so popular today because they're accessible, but there's also, there's, there's this sort of childlike, wonder that's also very profound and, and that's what that's what nintendo has is kind of delivered to or is continuing to deliver to, to many generations of kids and adults um yeah the 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 family point you raise is is critical and i think is something that is sort of generally 
uh, under acknowledged as as people maybe you know report on uh, this particular industry and and we sort of look at the history and, and we go into some some depth on that you know in our article where yeah the the gaming industry was really cratering you know at, at the time that the NES finally came around and and the NES is you know the platform that I think it's a lot of the credit of of saving kind of the gaming industry at large beginning to mainstream that game. Uh, and mainstreaming, as you say, with families, like it's it became family entertainment, not just, oh, this is something for kids. But it was, again, stories almost like we think of the Pixar and the DreamWorks movies, you know, as like family entertainment now, uh, at least for me, like I see that in a sort of a similar capacity where, you know, these games, they were fun. They were a little cheeky. Um, I, I can remember my father getting really, really into playing Mario as well. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a way to bring, bring the family together in the living room, sit down and, and kind of interact with that. And it, it spawned conversation. It spawned, you know, ideas about, you know, kids growing up and what they might want to become and not just like becoming gamers or getting into the gaming industry, but because of the wonder built into, into the games, you know, Zelda is another great one to mention, just the, the spirit of adventure, like all of these things were so simple, but so profoundly well executed mm-hmm. that, yeah, it, it was captivating more than just a child's imagination. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and again, going back to the article that we wrote, this is something that we explored, which is the idea that Nintendo, and I think you touched on this uh, earlier on, uh, you know, Nintendo's pretty much never gone, you know, gone out of their way to produce the flashiest experience or the most powerful hardware. Um, that's never been, that's really never been their forte. There, there have been times where they kind of were, uh, back with the Super Nintendo, where they, where they were kind of going head to head with, with Sega in terms of creating the most powerful gaming systems. But that's really for, for the most part, that has not been Nintendo's, the direction that they've, that they've gone. Um, they're all about, kind of being a little bit different, um, being more accessible, um, you know, prioritizing that story and that ex- the gaming experience um, over just having the most powerful hardware or the fastest graphics or things like that. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and what's interesting, and, and we have some specific examples in the article, but it's seemingly like every time they've sort of gone against their own instincts and, and against their own identity and tried to, say, follow suit and be and pursue like say feature parity uh right. from a from a tech spec standpoint with sega or xbox or you know something else uh, one of their competitors it's never done well right like it's always yeah. it's always underperformed or outright flopped yeah and and then the inverse seemingly as a trend has also been true and, you know every time they sort of buck the system and do something that is a bit of a head scratcher for folks that are either very much in the industry uh or even the ultimate consumer you know, it works like, like there's maybe that initial, again, head scratching moment, like at, at point of introduction, but the momentum seems to, to start. And we're seeing that right now in real time with uh, the switch platform, which is kind of starting to take the world by storm. Yeah, it is. Uh, I think there was, um, when I was working on this article, um, you know, I was reading some of the insights and, and, uh, sort of opinions of, you know, game, gaming industry experts and the, the, the expectation or, or the feeling about how the switch was going to do is honestly really mixed. And there are some people on both, you know, both extreme ends of the spectrum. Um, but I think we are, we are seeing that with the switch in particular, um, the gamble seems to be paying off for Nintendo, at least, at least early on. Um, I think it was in December last year, uh, they had sold like 5 million units in just 10 months, which apparently was the fastest made it the fastest selling 
Nintendo, or actually maybe the fastest selling U.S. console like ever of any system. Um, so the Switch hasn't, you know, it hasn't broken any records in terms of, of selling the largest number of consoles, but um, but it definitely is um, has been selling at a pretty good pace. And there's some exciting stuff coming out too with the Labo, and we can talk about that in a minute here too. Um, but yeah, I want I did want to talk a little bit about you know, what you mentioned about. Um, you know, how when Nintendo has kind of gone against this philosophy of focusing on the experience and the story and, and not focusing so much on trying to keep up with, you know, the Joneses or whatever, um, that it doesn't really pay off for them. And, um, you know, I think at this point, it probably is clear to everybody who's listening that we're, you know, we appreciate Nintendo. And, and um, but we also recognize that, you know, they haven't, they haven't made perfect decisions. Um, and they've, they've made some missteps along the way. And, um you know, I think one of the one of the early most uh, high profile ones was the Virtual Boy, and I don't know if you remember this. It was a it was a very early VR type console with this bulky sort of headset thing that you 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 stick your face into and play games with really crappy graphics, and it was heavy and bulky, and um, unsurprisingly, it didn't take off. But that was that was probably the first big example, the first real big flop for Nintendo. Um, where they tried to, to create something really powerful, but it didn't have, it wasn't portable. It wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't fun and, uh, it just didn't, it didn't take off. Um, and I think we also, we, we saw this to a lesser degree with the Wii U console, which was the, um, which came after their very successful Wii console, which is a whole story in itself, really, um, kind of re-revolutionized gaming and, and bringing families together and, um, you know, just with the motion controller and everything that they, that they did with that console. But the Wii U was the successor to that. And they, they tried to, they tried to make a powerful console. Um, cause one of the things that happened with the Wii was, um, that they kind of alienated sort of that power gaming kind of hardcore gamer set who saw the Wii as just sort of a fun thing to play Wii tennis or Wii bowling or whatever. And, uh, and so Nintendo kind of, tried to to write that wrong um but again that wasn't their forte it's not what they do best and and that console kind of really uh created a lot of concern that nintendo was was going in a bad direction and and so anyway to, to bring it back i think we're um we're seeing with the switch that yeah nintendo's d- done something um a little unexpected they've created this console that doubles as a as a home-based and a portable console and and it seems to be working. People, people are, are, they like it. Yeah. Yeah. And quickly to ex- yeah, explain what the switch is for folks that maybe, maybe haven't seen the news or, or kind of read into it. Yeah. it. It is that sort of hybrid console, which is sort of the next generation, you know, part of the future, at least a lot of people think in terms of where interactive gaming is going, uh, where you, it is a, a mobile platform. You can take it with you. You can play all of the games um, on the go, but then there's a docking station and you can then, you know, when you're in a kind of your home entertainment environment, you can dock it up and then, you know, play on your traditional television screen and mastering that sort of, you know, mixed experience is not easy, (laughs) clearly. Uh, But yeah, the, they seem to have done it and and they've done it in the Nintendo way. Uh, It hasn't maybe been again, uh, a, uh, adapting to the, the latest and greatest, most powerful, say, chipsets or something from a from a graphics or processor standpoint, but it just works like like it just works, right? And that's that's sort of part of at least for me, you know, the memory and the story of Nintendo is 
it's sort of almost like flawless, right? It, it just works. Um, there's, there's rarely issues. Um, I mean, yeah, okay. And, and we can sort of maybe poke fun at the, uh, the old experience with the NES cartridges, right? And, and sometimes you know, you'd have to blow in them, right? <laughs> to, to get them to work yeah, yeah, right. uh, after, uh, after a couple of years, but still generally speaking, their hardware just works. Their games yeah. just work. And, uh, that's, that's not a quality that, uh, that, sh- that shouldn't, that should go underrated. Like it's, it's a pretty big deal. Yeah, it, it is. And, and I think there's, um, you could draw parallels between Nintendo and an Apple, uh, in that sense, uh, where you look at companies that have kind of have this sort of reputation of going against the grain and sort of being kind of the underdog a lot of the time. Um, but also, yeah, like trying to create that entire experience and Nintendo did in the early days actually did something very similar to what Apple has done. If you go back to kind of the early days of gaming, um, I'm sure most people are familiar with the name Atari. Um, they're not really relevant at all anymore, but they used to be the main, you know, the Atari was the big player in, uh, in video gaming. And, um, but, but they did, they did something that was that ultimately their, uh, caused their downfall, which was they opened, they basically opened their platform, um, uh, for anyone to develop games for it. And so what happened was the, the market for Atari games became flooded with just this glut of mediocre games and Atari did not have control over, they didn't have quality control over what people were playing on their consoles. Um, and so this basically led to this dilution of quality in, um, in, in the video game market. And, uh, eventually it it crashed. Uh, it was over, it became oversaturated. Uh, and so what Nintendo did, they said, okay, no, we're not, we're, we're closing our system. We're going to be very selective about who can create games for our console. We're going to have a lot of control over the, you know, the rights to these games that we're going to, we're going to lock this down. And so in one sense, yeah, that maybe closed off some competition and some creativity, uh, that could have emerged, but it also meant that the Nintendo, experience could be um one that nintendo could control the quality of very very closely and i think we can look at that as as a factor in their success and again similar to what apple's done um by not creating this open system that anybody can can um create software for or competing hardware for so that, yeah, yeah i i, I yeah i was going to say i think the parallel there with with apple especially from a hardware standpoint and software um right. maybe maybe starting with hardware is I, I think highly relevant. Uh, I, I also say, uh, or, or I also at least personally look at, say, Disney in some parallels there, where you know Disney is just a massive, amazing creative media company, and they're gobbling up other companies. And 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 I look at what they're doing now with, say, like the Star Wars universe, right, or clearly the Marvel universe. Those characters, those storylines, and they're just continually investing and enriching and expanding those universes. Yeah, in a way, clearly that you know continues to to be a magnet and pull in all you know, people of all generations, you know, young and old, in terms of how they're how and when they're you know being introduced to these characters and these storylines. And and I see a lot of parallel there from a storytelling standpoint, you know, with Nintendo, uh, how they've developed the, the Zelda sort of universe, right? Uh, and that's one of the most popular games now on the Switch, and has always been sort of almost on on every console in its history. You know, some new expanded universe version of, of Zelda. Uh, I know for me, has always been amazing. Um, uh, the one on the N64 was that was my favorite game. Oh yeah, but Ocarina, it was, Ocarina of Time. Ocarina, yeah, 
uh, that one, uh, was, I mean, again, that was probably a game I put easily a hundred hours into. Yeah. Right. So, so just how, how these, how these narratives have continued to evolve and, and the depth of the, then those characters, certainly the Super Mario Brothers universe, uh, in all its permutations. Uh, yeah, I, I just see a, a lot of great quality there where there's depth to the character development, there's depth to the universe. The universe seems to keep expanding. Uh, and then the now it's starting to go cross platform. Uh, we saw it was what in, in the last year or two where, you know, Nintendo came out with Mario run for, for just, you know, uh, smartphones, uh, which was a, a right. fantastically yeah, popular super Mario run. Super Mario run. Um, just a tremendously popular uh, mobile app experience. Uh, we saw their partnership with uh, the Pokemon company and sort of the uh, the big main sort of thrust uh, and really starting to, again, mainstream now a new sort of uh, gaming experience around uh, augmented reality, right, AR, right. Yeah. Uh, and the popularity of Pokemon Go. So, yeah, I, I just love how they're enriching these universes. Yeah, definitely. I think, And I think we're seeing Nintendo also diversify in some ways, and, and that's something I wanted to talk about with you too. But I did want to also touch on uh, something you mentioned just about kind of the, the characters, the character development, I think you mentioned, uh, of, of the characters in the, in the Nintendo universe. And I think that's one thing that Nintendo has done brilliantly too is if you take, uh, especially Mario, I think we most people would agree is kind of the central character in the whole Nintendo universe. I mean, if we're going to say, if you're going to pick one, you know, icon for that, that represents Nintendo, it's Mario. And the, the kind of magical thing about Mario is that Mario, yeah, okay, he's a plumber and he wears a hat and he's got a mustache. But beyond that, there isn't, there isn't that much to Mario. Um, and so as a result, Mario is sort of this icon that the player can um, project themselves onto to really place themselves in the experience um, through these characters. And so, you know, we've got, that's why you'll see Mario running through a land of pipes and, and turtles and, and then, okay, he's now he's in a cart and he's racing against his friends. And it, it somehow makes sense because again, Mario is this blank slate where, you know, it's sort of this vessel for the player to insert yep. themselves and have that experience without the character getting in the way. Um, so I think there is, and there's, there's so much, you know, there's so much more we can say about that, but I, I think that is one of the particularly brilliant things that Nintendo has pulled off and why Mario and and a lot of the characters um, in the Mario universe in particular are still so relevant and um, and exciting, you know, even 25, 30 years on. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, a magnificent point. It's it's a very transportable sort of character. Totally. Uh, yeah, so, so you can situate that character or, or any in that ecosystem. Yeah, as you say, like Mario Kart and that whole sort of you know, sub dimension of the, of the Mario universe continues to be wildly popular, you know, uh, across all of the many years and on all, all the different platforms, like there seems to always be a Mario Kart, Right. Right. Um, yeah, it's still, it still works. Right. And, and I think that that certain timelessness to, exactly. you know, to those characters, uh, you know, we see timelessness in the characters of say the Simpsons, right. And, mm-hmm. and their, their continued relevance over 30 years. So yeah, being able to master a timelessness quality is, I think, part of the enduring legacy and, and magic of Nintendo. Yeah, absolutely, and it and it's kind of an effortless thing. Like it's it's like Mario. Yeah, who is Mario? Well, who knows? But 
but he, he, you know, he keeps, he keeps working in all these different contexts and we keep, we keep coming back to him and, you know, we, we still, we still, we're still attracted to this, what Mario represents or doesn't represent. I don't know, but, but yeah, I think Nintendo's pulled it off and, and, you know, they, I don't see any reason for them not to continue to, uh, I don't want to say milk it cause that sounds negative, but yeah, I mean, they've, they've got this incredible, um, this incredible icon here. Um, and so it makes sense that they would continue to, to make it the centerpiece of, of the universe that they've created. Um, so I wanted to talk uh, a little bit more about just what Nintendo's doing today. Uh, I think there's a lot of exciting stuff going on. We mentioned the switch. Uh, you, you know, you mentioned a couple of the other things that they've done recently, um, moving into iOS or, or mobile gaming with the super Mario run, um, a couple years back. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people remember the, the huge Pokemon go, uh, phenomenon, which obviously has died down, but I think it was the summer of 2016. It was, that was the thing. I mean, that was, you couldn't avoid hordes of hordes of, you know, stampeding kids, uh, just taking over public spaces, trying to catch, trying to catch their Pokemon. Um, and Nintendo was, was a big, big part of, of that phenomenon. Um, and so I think we're seeing, we're seeing a bit of diversification from Nintendo, which, uh, is maybe something that we haven't seen from them. Uh, to this point, um, and, and in small ways, uh, with you know, with the mobile gaming, uh, we're also seeing they've released classic editions of their popular early consoles, um, the NES, the Super NES in particular, um, which just goes to show how popular and relevant those still are because they've they've been those have done well. Um, but they're trying different things, and uh, they're also you know those are some of the smaller examples, but. Uh, there's also rumors uh, of actually I don't I don't think they're just rumors I think it, it's actually going to happen of a Nintendo theme park which seems like the kind of thing that could have happened or should have happened you know a decade ago but uh, but yeah that's you know it, that's that's a new ground literally and figuratively that Nintendo is exploring too um, so yeah they are um, they're not resting on their laurels, I think, which is, um, which is a good thing for, for any company, for any brand, uh, to, to do. Yeah. Uh, I would compliment it in terms of the seemingly enduring pioneering spirit, you know, of the brand and of, of the company. And, and that always is then, you know, a endeavor that will bring missteps. So there, I am sure that Nintendo will continue to make, uh, some falters down, down the way. But yeah. you know, as we think about how they basically even borderline invented mobile gaming, right? You know, so we think back to the um, uh, the Game Boy, right? right, and the tremendous success of the Game Boy. That was really the dawn of basically like borderline smartphones, right? And and like here's something I'm going to take with me and boot up, and you know, I can play uh, from an airplane, I can play from the car, I can play from you know wherever, uh, and that was a huge success. So they've always been pushing the envelope, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. Right. So you know, pushing into more theme parks. Not many brands have done that well. Basically, it's it's Disney that has done it well, right? Yeah. Um, and then you know, in Disney's case, you know, incorporating Harry Potter and now having the the Wizarding World of Harry Potter right at their theme parks and stuff like that uh, has obviously done tremendously well. So you know, if there is if there is opportunity to to do something similar, you know, for the Nintendo universe of characters, that that seems that seems like a pretty you know strong recipe of potential success there. So totally. yeah, uh, across, yeah, across all of the sort of frontiers, uh, continuing to push on AR, uh, I think will be something that they continue to do uh, more and more based on some early successes. So yeah, it'll be exciting to see what they pioneer next. 
Totally, totally. Yeah. And and just going back to the theme park thing, I mean, it's, it just seems like such a natural fit because they have this, this universe of characters that are so familiar. And, um, you know, again, like they have this history, this legacy of creating these immersive experiences. And so I think that just lends itself so, so naturally to creating a physical experience that is, I mean, as immersive as, as almost any physical experience could be, which is a theme park. I mean, anybody who's been to Disney World can can attest that like you are you are in that you're in the universe of that brand. Um, yeah. And, uh, well, and, and 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 that seems to be even a potential common denominator here, uh, at least from where I sit, in terms of how Nintendo is thinking about itself and and advancing and evolving itself. Is this sort of cross section of the physical and the digital world? I I even think about for the Switch this campaign like largely maybe a marketing campaign that they put together highly successful with those cardboard boxes uh i don't know right yeah. you ever saw saw that video uh, in terms of what they're doing but they have all of these kind of pre-built templates of or, or stencils of, of cardboard box things and you can get them and then you like pop them out you know there's predefined shapes and you fold it and bend it and put it together and you know one is a fishing rod like a literal like legitimate fishing rod or another is sort of a um, sort of like a an airplane simulator with joystick control, like it's a physical bloody thing, which is amazing. And then you can situate the switch, you know, into this cardboard box in some capacity, and you can control the control the game with these things. Like it's right. incredible. Yeah, it is. Um, and Labo is what you're talking about. And uh, yeah, I did see the video. It's it's amazing. Um, it's not out yet. Uh, we're recording now. It's mid March, and I think it's due to come out on April 20th, if I if I remember correctly. So. By the time this episode goes live, it might still be might still be in the wings. Um, but uh, I, you know, yeah, I've read, I've been reading up on that too, and um, just reading some of the comments on on blog articles, and um, a lot of a lot of parent, parents with young kids are are super excited about this, and and for good reason, I think. Um, yeah, so these are essentially cardboard templates that you can use to uh, ex- sort of extend the physical experience of using the Switch console. Uh, in particular, by enhancing the functionality of the controllers and kind of taking advantage of all of the technology that is built into these controllers. So I think the motion control, I think there's a camera built into, I don't know if it's the console itself that can see what what you're doing with these cardboard pieces and 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 use that as inputs to control the game or or the or the you know the process that you're that you're uh, that you're playing with. Um, so yeah, it, it's 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 super cool. It's it's very much. It's an, it's the kind of thing that only Nintendo, you know, <laughs> it's easy, exactly. to, easy to say this now, but like, it seems like the kind of thing that only Nintendo could come up with or would come up with. Um, yeah. I mean, it's so out of left field, but, right. but at the same time, like now that you see it and, and you watch their, their trailer video about it's, you know, what's possible with this thing and it actually works. It's like, well, of course it, it's almost this, like um, this weird reality where, uh, like gravity, you know, doesn't work. Like it's breaking the laws of physics. So it's like, yeah, this is so just like corny or unexpected and weird. And yet, oh my God, it's so like obvious for Nintendo. Like it just, it just, it's a perfect fit. Right. Right. I mean, they're, they want, they're trying to sell us cardboard, which on paper sounds kind of ridiculous. And like, why would, why would anybody, you know, fall for that? But, but the magic is in the details and it's how it integrates with, with the switch and, and the experience that they're creating. And, uh, so yeah, it's, it's more, it's way more than just cardboard. And, and, and yeah, yeah. like you said, it's, this is a very Nintendo thing, um, that probably only they would, would, 
would be able to pull off. Um, yeah. I wanted to I wanted to talk about the Game Boy a little bit because you mentioned the Game Boy, and I, I have a special soft spot for for that console in particular. Um, I know you kind of grew up initially with the NES. Were you ever a Game Boy a Game Boy kid? Admittedly, I didn't get hardcore into that. I was definitely the NES kid, uh, and then years later went pretty hard, you know, into N sixty four when that came around. Goldeneye right. was Goldeneye. you know the go to game. Yeah. Uh, so I had a Game Boy. I, for some reason, didn't become like a, a rabid fan or user of it, uh, not because it was a, uh, a lacking platform. Um, I just don't think I had as much of a, I dare say, like a use case for it. Sure, sure. Yeah, see, for, uh, for, for me, I, um, I really wanted, I wanted to be an NES kid, um, but I ended up becoming a Game Boy kid. And uh, so I, I grew up overseas. I didn't, I didn't grow up in the States, but my family uh, would we'd come to visit the states every every couple years when I was a kid, and so you know I caught the fever too. Like it was it was hard to avoid. Um, so when I was I think I was like nine, and I really really wanted uh, I really wanted an NES, and so I told my parents, and um, you know they they went off behind closed doors and 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 had their their you know their dialogue, and um, they came back and said, okay, we're actually going to get you the Game Boy, and I was like, first I was like, what? Like I, this is not what I want, um, but it made a lot more sense uh, for me to, to, you know, the Game Boy made a lot more sense. Um, it was portable. And so it quickly became like the main, you know, the mainstay of my childhood. Um, you know, I'm glad my parents knew what they were, knew what they were doing. Yep. They didn't get me the NES, but, but yeah, it became, um, I mean, you know, my parents, we, my family would go on these long car trips and yeah, my sister and I would just be glued to our Game Boys. And, you know, in retrospect, that's probably not the best from a, you know, <laughs> posture or eyesight or whatever but <laughs> but like this you know the, the game boy was was yeah it kept us it, you know it kept us excited for for 15 hours on these on these car trips and um you know you could take it with you which was just again like you said like it it ushered in this this era of portable gaming and you know that's led us to the smartphone and mobile gaming and it was the first and only uh, I shouldn't say that it was, I mean, it, there were other, there were other portable consoles out at the time, but none of them quite had that balance of, um, it just but, yeah. worked, right? Yeah, it just I worked. Mean, it, yeah, exactly. It, it, it's another one of those where there was tremendous durability mm-hmm. to, you know, to their devices. You could almost drop them and they would still work. Right. Right. Um, which, you know, again, I look at sort of all of their consoles and there's a certain, borderline clunkiness but versatility and durability to it um it's kind of weird so yeah that the game boy and, and my friends that were really probably like you you know massive um uh game boy kids yeah they would just walk around and you know had all these cartridges in their backpacks and the cartridges never seemingly like got damaged or anything and it, it just bloody worked right, right. And the games were, were fun yeah totally totally um yeah, I, I sometimes I'll go on eBay and, and look at, at old Game Boys and think about getting one, but then uh, you know. Yeah. Do you still have your original one? I don't. Like, you know what? I I moved. Up? Yeah, when I moved to the states, I was eighteen and I left it behind in uh, in Botswana where I where I grew up. And uh, you know, it's one of those things I look back. I'm like, what was I thinking? Um, left all my games behind in, in the console, and you know, it's just you don't appreciate these sorts of things until you're older and nostalgia starts to kick in. And, yeah. I, I still am lugging around my my original NES, you know that I really? that I got in the eighties. Wow! Uh, it's 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 not hooked up. So when my my now wife, uh, my fiance, when we moved in together at the time, it just ended up in the basement and you know, <laughs> haven't hooked it up. 
but uh, I do I do still have it. So you don't know if it if it still works. I don't. I would I would have to hook it up, and it might just be easier now that they are coming out with the the classic versions to probably just like you know spend the forty bucks or whatever it is, and you know get the new one, and it'll work, and it has all the modern adapters, and just a little bit easier to actually hook up the televisions and things. Sure. So yeah. might might just do that, but for. For the uh, the sentimentality, I guess of it, like I, I still have the original, and it's uh, probably going to take a lot, honestly, to kind of separate it from me. So totally, totally. Well, if you can find a TV that has the right connectors for it, then I, I say go out and make that your next weekend project. See if see if that yeah. st- see if that puppy still got some juice in it because uh, yeah, there's nothing like so, a, a bit of n- Nintendo nostalgia. Of course, still have the uh, the N sixty four as well, and I think there's rumors, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that they're working on like a classic version of of the N sixty four as well. Well, Matt, it's been super fun chatting Nintendo with you. Uh, it's uh, always fun to 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 dig into the history and just the success of, of a brand like Nintendo's that's so, that's so iconic and, and beloved. And I mean, I think it's pretty clear that we're both fans of of Nintendo and. Uh, but we're also critical fans, you know, we've, uh, and again, if you, uh, for those of you out there, go check out the article we wrote, we talk about some of the, some of the missteps that Nintendo has made. And, and that we've talked about today on the podcast, you know, no company is, no company is perfect. And, um, but they've, they've done something special and they've, again, you know, they've made, they've made gaming a household phenomenon and continues to, continues to be so. Um, and they've created this universe of characters that is still very relevant and, and that people of, of many walks of life are, are still drawn to um, engaging with. And so that's, I think that's something special. And so, yeah, they're just, it's a, they're a fun, they're a fun company to talk about. And, and I'm excited to see what they do next in particular with, with this Labo uh, stuff with the switch and, and with their theme park. We'll see how that evolves. Um, yeah. But some yeah. Exciting and, and stuff. From, I mean, all, all of that I, I echo. And, you know, I think my, my kind of big takeaway is it's a really phenomenal moment for, for, for me, maybe for us, you know, those of us that are potentially, you know, in our thirties, uh, like we both are. Right. And we, we have young children and there's this, this more macro level, seemingly, um, macro level kind of Renaissance of, of like retro. Uh, we think of like stranger things, you know, on Netflix and this, this sort of revisiting of of stuff from the eighties. And it's, it's almost kind of pop culture again. Um, which is exciting for us to kind of then relive those childhood memories and potentially bring some of this stuff like Nintendo games, like Nintendo platforms, you know, um, not only back into our own lives, but potentially begin to kind of reintroduce that, uh, or introduce maybe for the first time, say, super mario to you know to our kids uh and i don't have kids yet uh but you know i am excited in in in, in every way will be you know bringing nintendo into our family um and those games and and even the retro games so it's it's just a really awesome moment uh that's kind of pervading entertainment across movies across television series across certainly uh the gaming industry as well so it's it's a cool time to be talking about a lot of this stuff and very very excited to see what nintendo continues to do with the opportunity definitely definitely um you know you mentioned kids and i have a i have a son who's almost five and we're we're kind of not screen free but screen light with him but uh i will agree with you that you know i'm excited to to kind of bring, you know, introduce them to this universe that I grew up with a little bit, again, kind of, you know, with, with some constraints. Um, but yeah, like once he, once we're ready to, to 
expose them more to kind of digital digital experiences um the classic nintendo experience will definitely be up there um yeah exactly well matt thanks again for for hopping on this chat with me uh again super fun topic and uh you know it was a blast working on this article with you uh you can go to hyperlink magazine online uh which is at medium.com slash hyperlink dash mag again that's medium.com slash hyperlink dash mag and uh, check it out. You'll see it on the homepage there. It's called Nintendo Changing the Game, how the world's most famous video game company has consistently made history by going against the grain. Uh, that is our episode for today. Thank you, Matt, again for, uh, for hopping on here with me and talking Nintendo. Absolutely, Ray. Thanks a bunch. This season, we're sharing a link of the week at the end of each episode. This is an awesome piece of content that we've discovered recently on the internet. And this week's link of the week that I wanted to share is an interview between Tim Ferriss and Dr. Gabor Mate on the Tim Ferriss Show. And the interview is titled New Paradigms, Ayahuasca, and Redefining Addiction. It's pretty long. It's almost two and a half hours, but it's well worth your time. Tim is a great interviewer if you've ever listened to his show. And Dr. Mate is a fascinating um, interview subject. Uh, he talks about a range of things from addiction to the link between sensitivity, creativity, and pain. He talks a lot about trauma and how it's rooted in our childhood experiences and also some ways, some modalities of, of treating issues like trauma and addiction, including some approaches that are maybe outside the norm. Uh, so again, it's long but well worth your time. Check it out. Go to tim.blog and search for Gabor Mate. That's spelled G-A-B-O-R-M-A-T-E, Gabor Mate. Great interview. Check it out. Thanks for listening. Next week on Hyperlink Radio, Karen Beatty covers the topic of voting, specifically voting machines, and the potential danger they pose to our democracy. Karen interviews Barbara Siemens of Verified Voting, a nonpartisan organization, about the security of voting machines, especially in light of the possible Russian interference in the 2016 elections. Together, they'll dig into questions like, how do we make sure our votes really count? Is computerized voting ever going to be secure? Do we need to go back to paper ballots? And are we prepared for the 2018 midterm elections that are fast approaching? All of this and more in the next episode of Hyperlink Radio. To find out more about Hyperlink Radio, visit hyperlinkradio.io, where you can find show notes, bonus content, and other episodes from Season 1 and Season 2 of the podcast. You can also subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, or however you like to listen to your podcasts. One more time, that's hyperlinkradio.io. Thanks again, and stay connected.